Thank you for listening to the Gateway to the Rockies podcast from Visit Aurora from the Raptors of the Stanley Marketplace. This is the show dedicated to telling the stories of Aurora, Colorado. Hi there, I'm Dave, Senior Marketing Manager for Visit Aurora. Quite literally across the street from us is the burgeoning Central Park neighborhood. It's a neighborhood in its former life that was the site of Stapleton International Airport. Only a few relics of that past remain, none standing more defiantly than the air traffic control tower just west of us, now home to Flightco Tower, a 20,000 square foot restaurant, brewery, and entertainment space boasting three levels, three bars, a bowling alley, an arcade, a huge outdoor patio. Today, we're joined by co-founders of Flight Co. Brewing, Eric Serrani and Morgan O'Sullivan. Thanks for joining us, fellas. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, thank you for having us. You literally started an aviation-themed brewing company, and to have one of your flagship locations in an air traffic control tower seems like the stars aligning, right? Yeah, I definitely have to pinch myself. Uh, when I th- when I think about how serendipitous it all feels, um, but yeah, what a what a wonderful opportunity and in such a great neighborhood and, and an iconic space. It's it's been really cool. Eric, you and your your other co-founder Jason turned a home brewing kit into a serious hobby. Do you remember how that first beer came out? Uh, not great. Um, it was we were in college at the time, so it had alcohol in it, which was the main objective of of uh, the endeavor. Uh, so in that sense, it worked. <laughs> But after that, Jason is a chemical engineer and really got into the the recipe creation side of things, really delved into balancing the perfect beer while I was more of a a systems engineer and and aerospace engineering courses at CU. And uh, I started making temperature controlled fermentation vessels uh, so we could really control the process. And over the years, it started to get really good and we people couldn't tell the difference between our homebrewed beer and stuff you got at the the brewery down the street. So, uh, yeah, it really improved over the years, but the first one was not great. At what point did it go from like a hobby to maybe this is exaggerating, but an obsession? Uh, when I moved next door to Morgan, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, We, uh, became quick friends. Uh, Morgan was very well connected in the the service industry around town and, and had a lot of chef friends and, just a lot of friends in general. Um, and we'd throw big backyard barbecues and I'd invite my friends and we cut a hole in our fence and had uh, right. uh, had the beer brewed by Jason and I. So people came and got free beer and, and delicious food. And yeah, I mean, it really- rolled out of control from there. Yeah, seriously, and, and in a hurry. I mean, no, it, it, it started as really just us wanting to, you know, bring all of our friends together um, and have it be a little bit different than, you know, just your typical backyard barbecue. So it started out, you know, hey, we're, we're gonna have some people over and there's gonna be one beer on tap and, you know, well, next party, well, what if we did, you know, three beers or, or, or four beers? And then it ended up, Eric and I, building a couple kegerators out of some old chest freezers. Um, so I think, it, you know, it, we had the ability to have eight different beers on tap in the backyard. Um, we built a big tent over the, the entire backyard so that in those summer rainstorms roll through, our party didn't stop. Um, we had pr- friends that were professional stand-up comedians that would come perform. Okay. Um, you know, we did a lip sync contest one year, um, built a stage, um, the whole nine yards. And, and, and none of it was to make money. None of it was to further any real end goal other than to just be the spot that people could come together and enjoy good beer in each other's company. Um, and over the couple years that we were neighbors doing that, um, really developed a passion for the beer making side and, and really just 
that sense of community that we were building. Um, and it was, well, why don't we try to do this for a living? Enough of the people like the beer. We obviously have the experience side dialed in, dialed in. Let's, let's go for this, you know, and, and Jason and Eric, both as, as pilots and aviators and, and growing up in families that were very passionate about that and, and, and are to this day. Um, when we decided, you know, Hey, what, what's our theme going to be? How are we going to stand out from the crowd? Cause there's a few breweries here in Denver, right? Um, <laughs> the aviation was the obvious choice. Um, so yeah, that's that's a little bit of the origin story there. Morgan, you and Eric become neighbors, friends. You're you're bonded by this shared enthusiasm for beer. You also have the sales and business acumen to kind of handle that side of the enterprise. What was turning that hobby into a business full time your idea, or did Eric come to the pitch like, hey, we need your help to to scale this? Yeah, I think it was it was definitely something that Eric and Jason had talked about for for years in advance. More of a you know the typical pipe dream conversation of like, hey man, if I if I didn't work corporate. I would really want to own a brewery and you know, we, we can make some good beer. We should we should do this someday um, You know, and I think that the catalyst was those parties was um, You know not to talk it up too much But you know me kind of coming onto the scene and being like well, let, let, let's do something with this So I think it was 2014 Eric came to me and said hey, do you want to write a business plan? Um, and I was like sure I don't know how to do that, but <laughs> you know, let's figure it out, right? Um, and we did we sat down we wrote a plan um, it took us the better part of five years to take that plan from ideas in our head to a physical location. Um, we opened our first spot um, on 38th and Tennyson in March of 19. And so, yeah, a lot of trial and error, a lot of long conversations and a lot of no's from different banks trying to procure funding and a lot of no's from different landlords and uh, commercial real estate brokers trying to find a location. You know, it was long and arduous, um, but at the end of the day, it, it, it worked. Um, and we were able to, to open that first location and start making our beer for the masses. Eric, the, the the delicate chemistry of brewing is fascinating. It's it's got to take a long time to get to a point where you know you're winning awards. A at what point did you realize, okay, we have something that we're proud to share with the masses? You you knew that your product was ready to roll to everybody. Um, yeah, probably sometime around in that 2014, no, 2013 timeframe uh, of those those backyard parties. Yeah, we we just started holding blind taste tests with ourselves, with our friends, um, just to you know, make sure that we're not crazy that we think our beer is really good. You had a captive focus group. Yeah, yeah. And in the parties that we did have, you know, uh, we were giving away the beer for free. So free beer always tastes better than uh, yeah, it was, it was free beer. But inter uh, interesting to approach that, right? Because you invite your friends over and say, hey, hey, I made this beer. Do you want to try it? Uh, people are naturally inclined to just be appreciative and be like, oh, man, this is great. Like, I couldn't make beer like this. There's a really big difference between I can't make beer like this and I would pay money for this if I didn't know you in a commercial setting. Yeah, it's hard to get that actual critical feedback in that kind of environment. It's almost like the music industry. If you know you're in a band and you put mm -hmm. out a song, your friends are going to love it, even if it's yeah, not if you, great. If you but. invite me over for dinner at your house, I'm going to be stoked. Whatever you cook, because you cooked it for me. You you were you were gracious enough to allow me to be a, a guest in your home. You know, so jumping from that type of feedback to true, honest feedback, doing the blind taste tests, um, going out to friends um, and acquaintances in the in the restaurant world and, you know, giving them our product and saying, hey, you know, real talk, 
would you serve this in your establishment? Would this go with the type of food that you have? And really starting to get some real feedback um, was a big confidence boost to be able to try to pursue this long term. I talked to Javi and Jen downstairs at Chaloon. I don't know if you know yeah. those two, but they said that the brewing community in Colorado is really collaborative. People are willing to help each other out. There's a, a shared appreciation for the art. Did you find yeah. folks in the brewing community being supportive and giving you feedback and helping you with your processes and everything? Uh, absolutely. I think that's uh, one of the driving factors that uh, most brewery owners get into the business is the, the collaborative nature uh, of the brewing industry. Everyone helps each other out. Everyone shares information. Recipes aren't off limits. Ingredients, if you have extra and get rid of it, um, it's in, it's it's a community it's it's everyone in it together you know to to kind of create this this culture that is it is more vibrant it is is better than just boring old regular beer yeah you know i think that for the three of us the idea of being entrepreneurs and and kind of doing our own thing being our own bosses um was uh, uh you know for lack of a better term, you know, the, the shiny, sexy thing about, about starting your own business. Um, and then the, the beer side and having an obsession with that, having a product that we were proud of to build a business around was huge. But uh, the part that I really fell in love with um, through that process is what you're describing. The, the collaborative nature of the beer industry where these three guys that don't know enough coming in and trying to learn everything on the fly um, and be, being the guy in the room that's like, I, I don't know as much as these people and, and just how welcoming they were um, and open to sharing everything that we would need access to resources and contacts. Um, you know, talking to um, Jordan down at Woods Boss for uh, contract brewing to get up some of our initial batches that we serve, talking to Ryan Evans at Brews, um, which, you know, is right down the street from where Eric lives and constantly going with him like, hey, when you ran into this problem, when you you were starting up how, how did you solve it and right you know it wasn't a trade secret he would give you not only would he give you his best answer and what he did but then he would give you the list of contacts that you needed of people to call for additional advice or follow-up um and so that part of this this startup phase um i truly fell in love with the the beer world and the, the culture that that it comes with um because it's it's so different from the corporate backgrounds how does that dynamic work when, when it comes to running an enterprise like Flight Co. Brewing? You have three smart young guys with probably very strong opinions on what's good and what's not. How do you navigate differences of opinions and personality, especially when this is everyone's baby? Yeah, it's a balance. Um, just recognition of everyone's strengths that we bring to the table. Uh, we're all three very different people and uh, we manage a different side of the business that's very important in its own way and, and we have different capabilities um, it's taken us a while to, to figure that out but uh, one, once you do it's it's really powerful uh, yeah one of the key ingredients is, is definitely time and patience yeah um, you know to, to be able to learn the strengths and weaknesses of, of your partners also to just not bring your ego into the conversation you know we we consistently have idea sessions and, and have really developed a good process around how we decide what direction we're going um, um, there are a lot of decisions that we've made over the years, um, both good and bad. Um, and I have no, no way of tracing back who, to whose idea it was because it doesn't matter. Um, the good idea, a good idea is a good idea. It doesn't matter who it came from. Um, those are the ones that should win out. And so, you know, leaving, checking your ego at the door, which is easier said than done. Right. Um, and hey, that's a great idea. doesn't matter whose idea it was. Let's see that to completion, um, I think has been integral in that process. 
you're a couple of months in now at Flight Co. Tower. What's the first few months been like and, and how has the reception been? I mean, yeah, community support has been awesome. Uh, Central Park is such a tight knit, tight knit space. Everybody talks to each other. Um, the, the story that I really uh, have, have gravitated towards is Eric and, and Chris, our general manager, um, went out uh, door to door to collect signatures for our liquor license. Okay. Um, and they knocked on two or three doors and, you know, very positive response to those folks. And by the time they got to the the third or, or fourth house, the, the doors started to open before they could knock. Hey, I heard you guys were walking around collecting signatures for your liquor license for the tower. So that that's how tight this community is, right? There's almost like that party line where people are updating each other on what's going on in the neighborhood. Um, and that, that's just been so wonderful to tap into. It's such a cool space. I mean, it stands out. We, we don't have a whole lot of spaces in the Denver metro area that kind of stand up as a, a landmark so to speak and it truly does and then you're a little bit on an island in central park to a degree so i imagine there was a lot of community enthusiasm about the project opening up of course you know there is some history with the location that space was also a restaurant and bar previously and and that concept didn't quite work for a bevy of reasons strategically how are you positioning flight code tower to avoid some of the pitfalls of the previous incarnation uh yeah uh we're we're very much focusing uh on the community's desires and needs uh, we went around for months asking people what they wanted to see on the food menu um, and, and, and cocktail menu and, and just seeing what kind of place they wanted it to be. And we realized pretty quickly that it needed to be very family friendly. So having the arcade, the bowling alley, the mini golf, uh, it's all activities that kids can, can go do while you know the parents enjoy a beverage and a meal. So... Yeah, from from there, uh, you know, the advantage we have is we're still a small business. Uh, the the former tenant Punchbowl Social had many many locations to run and and look after, and and they um, may or may not have had time to, to personalize everyone specifically to each individual neighborhood. Yeah, well, and it's it's interesting because more focus. You know, a lot of the entertainment aspects that Eric is is mentioning those those were you know left over from the previous business, and so it's how is how is that different? And I think it's just our approach to it. You know, the, the Punchbowl's model is works great um, for their South Broadway location here in Denver, um, where it's a lot of younger, early to mid 20s. Um, the majority of their business happens after 10 p.m., um, right? A lot of, lot of cocktails, a lot of shots. It's a great place to go and party. We had a lot of experience at our other location in the Tennyson neighborhood, starting to understand what it means to be a community gathering space, what it means to be your local neighborhood go-to spot, not necessarily a nightlife spot. And so we, we came in and realized, like Eric said, that this needs to be fun for the whole family. You need to have those quiet corners for date night. You need to have that space for adults to escape the, the chaos of, of the kids. But at the end of the day, we need to lean into the demographics of this neighborhood and the desires of this neighborhood. Um, so we, we opened our coffee shop concept over there. So we're, we're open right now, Wednesday through Sunday at 7 a.m. for coffee, breakfast burritos, and I mean a morning beer. If you just got off night shift and you want to come in for a beer, um, you can do so. Um, but really allowing the, the folks in this community to use our space um, early and all day, and then shifting those business hours a little bit earlier and, and those busy times a little bit earlier than the previous tenant, um, I think has been a, a wonderful success and very well received uh, by the community at large. There seems to be a real emphasis on, on Flight Co. Tower being ingrained in the community. Um, you know, it's, it's not a restaurant and a, and a bar along a, 
a long row of them like in downtown, um, which I imagine can both be a benefit and a vulnerability to a degree. You've, you spoke to this a little bit, but you know, how important is it to be ensconced in the, in the Central Park community and, and, and how is some of your programming reflective of that? So a couple, couple different answers for that. One, you know, we're, we're in a little bit of an entertainment oasis or, or, or desert, I should say. We, we are trying to be the oasis. Um, you have Stanley Marketplace, which is fantastic with a ton of options um, and you know, really one of the biggest attractions on this side of town. And then there's a lot of corporate entities that have, have come in, a lot of chains that provide a, a product um, and a service that's valuable to the community, but it's not something that is personalized or unique. It's, you know, you could be anywhere in suburban America and go to one of these chains and it's no different than the location here. So where's that, where's that sense of place? Where's that sense of community? And so it is that double-edged sword because people do have to travel to get to us, but there is such a densely populated area immediately around us. And that density is just continuing to grow um, that don't really have any other options quite like what we offer. Right. Um, and so we truly believe that that'll be to our advantage. The other the other part is really how we try to engage with the different communities that we're involved in. And a lot, a lot of that has to do with our, our charitable efforts. So 10% of our profits go to the future of aviation through local and national scholarship. Um, I'll let Eric tell the story as to kind of how that came to be. But we we don't stop it at just aviation. You know, we're, we're there. We're constantly throwing fundraisers and silent auctions for schools. Um, and really just trying to raise awareness um, and and funds um, for causes and organizations that are important to our neighbors yeah. um, and make those important to us as well. Speaking of the, the aviation theme, it is more than just a theme. You you have a love for aviation. You pay homage to aviation history in the tower. Can you talk a little bit about why why that's so important that Flight Co. Um, you know, honors that history? Uh, yeah. Uh, for me personally, uh, I'm an aviation geek, so uh, it's just fun for me. But I, it started out, I took a first ride in a small airplane with my grandfather when I was three years old. Uh, it's a, it was a 1946 Aronka Champ. It was our original logo for the, the brewery. And then just was hooked ever since that. I soloed that same plane on my 16th birthday. Uh, you flew a plane by yourself on your 16th birthday? Yep, before driving a, a car by myself. You, you flew a plane before you drove a car by yourself? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, that was a yeah, fun little thing that, that I was I was lucky enough to, to do. But uh, I was lucky enough to do that because my grandfather had a couple airplanes. Yeah. He had a friend that was a flight instructor. That airplane, it burns very little gas. It doesn't hardly go more than 50 miles an hour. So uh, it was very accessible for me to get into it, um, but it's not something that most people can get into. Uh, after my 16th birthday, between you have to be 17 to get your pilot's license and take other people flying with you. My grandfather passed away uh, before my 17th birthday. Uh, and his group, the EAA chapter, the Experimental Aircraft Association, uh, it's a national organization of pilots and uh, aircraft builders, home builders, uh, and enthusiasts. They have a chapter up in North Denver, Chapter 43, uh, and they gave me a, a scholarship, a couple of thousand dollars to finish out getting my pilot's license. Uh, and I just was so grateful for that moment to not only have access to it, but have a group of people that are willing to fund uh, me getting my pilot's license as a teenager. So I've always felt grateful, uh, wanted to pay it forward ever since then. and. Uh, and that's kind of the basis of our, our charitable um, givings is giving 10% to the future pilots, the people that don't have access to this industry that is you know, traditionally very closed off you know, to, to the elite. Um, so. 
Yeah, it's a, there's a lot of barriers to enter. Um, money being, you know, the biggest one, but then just also knowing the right people. And so by being this, um, this space that attracts people from the aviation industry, that attracts pilots, that attracts aviators, and allowing access to, to, to folks, um, whether they're on our staff or patrons or members of the community, giving them those path, access to those pathways of, of how do they break in? Um, how, do they, how do they get involved? Do you want to be a drone pilot? Do you want to be an aircraft mechanic? Do you want to fly planes yourself, either privately for fun or if eventually commercially uh, around the country and the world. Um, and so the scholarships are just one way that we that we approach that um, and try to make it more accessible. And then also just telling the story and generating excitement. I mean, the, the tower itself does a lot of that. Uh, yeah. Big old 164 foot air traffic control tower that can be seen from anywhere in the, in the neighborhood. It can be seen from the highway. That really helps generate some excitement. And then decorating the space to, to match that and trying to tell a little bit of the history of aviation in this neighborhood. Because, you know, it, it's suburbia now like you you have a, a strong tie here in the building here at uh, stanley marketplace mm-hmm. right the the home of the ejection seat and uh the the uh, owners of this building have done a wonderful job of incorporating the history into the design of this space um in the same way that that we're doing um at ours and yeah. that was really exciting when we were able to announce our partnership with wings over the rockies air and space museum um and that they're going to continue to help us both now and in the future decorate our space with unused museum exhibits um, because our goals and our ideals are very closely aligned with the museum and so it's you know what it looks like today is is phenomenal and i'm I'm very proud of what we've done but it's just the beginning of what we're doing to help tell the story of aviation if you haven't been to the space you you see these exhibits from the wings over the rockies museum and you guys switch those out periodically as well so every time you go there's there's a, a different part of aviation history that you can kind of take in. Yeah, for the first uh, for the first couple of years, it'll it'll be adding to fill in the space. I mean, you know, with twenty thousand square feet, we have a, a lot of wall space and yeah. a lot of little corners to be able to tell some interesting stories. Um, and then what? Right, right when we feel like we're done and we've filled the space, um, you know, with their help, we're going to start over again. Um, and like you said, constantly keep it fresh so that it's you you get some little corner, you find some little story that you didn't see the time before, um, and it just makes it that much more unique and that much more memorable. Yeah. One of the things that we're working on with them this year uh, that we're excited about is uh, we've got about a hundred foot hallway uh, along one of the bowling alleys and we're going to create a timeline history of aviation um, with the local area uh, history, Stapleton Airport, Colorado Aviation History, Military Aviation. So it's kind of a fun uh, exhibit for uh, for everyone to enjoy. Give, give them that sense of place. You know, yeah. there's, you live in this beautiful suburban neighborhood um, and it's important to remember what it was and 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 how you know instrumental that was in, in getting uh, the community where it is today back to the beer talk about some of the offerings and and the scale that that space gives you to kind of really spread your wings and and lack of a better term oh yeah don't don't stop with the aviation puns that we're, <laughs> we're here for it uh, our philosophy with beer, uh, just like our philosophy with service, is a little bit of something for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is something on the menu for uh, the light beer drinkers. Our Flight Light is a, a great, you know, four percent beer that you can just have a couple of on the patio. Um, good, good lawn mowing beer. Yep, nice. Um, all the way to the the barrel aged uh, beers, we have a barrel aged rye IPA, stouts, um, and. IP, um, everything in between. So yeah, something something for hopheads, something for you know people to intro to craft beer. Um, you know, always try to feature a sour or two for folks that are looking for that experience. Um, and then it's been really fun to expand beyond beer with this location with a full wine and cocktail program. And so take that that same tenacity, that same passion, um, in a, into full beverage offerings. And so really, really, truly having something for everyone, um, 
whether it's on the on the gluten free side or or you know away from beer entirely. Um, but yeah, Jason Jason, our our partner and, and master brewer, really takes a traditional approach to the brewing process and makes beers that are very true expressions of their of their classic style, and then making sure that the variety doesn't necessarily come from the crazy ingredients that we're adding to the beer, um, but the variety of choices between styles. I'm glad you mentioned the, the cocktails. I was really impressed by the selection when you had your media preview when we were able to come over there um, a couple of months ago. Uh, there's a lot of creativity in that space too. Where, where does that come from? Do you, do you have a bartender on staff that kind of crafts those? Yeah, so the really rewarding part of this process has been going out and building our team. Um, you know, when we started at, at the Tennyson location, the three of us would bartend uh, five to six nights a week. And, okay. you know, we started bringing in more employees as things got busier um, and being able to take take a step back and truly run the business as opposed to just bartending. And, you know, I, I miss it. I love I love being behind the bar and, yeah. and, you know, just shooting the breeze with our customers. But this go around with the size and scope of this project, we were able to go out and find real seasoned professionals that brought a lot of excitement um, and knowledge to our team. Um, and so we have, you know, a wonderful bar manager um, with a ton of experience. We've been able to hire some really excellent excellent bartenders. We just launched our fall uh, and winter um, cocktail menu update. Um, we added about five or six cocktails to that menu. All of those were directly from our bar staff. So we had a couple weeks of development where everybody had the opportunity to have some input and say, hey, this is this is my version of a fall cocktail. This is my version. And come together as a team, vote on the best, write those recipes, uh, and then you know practice that quality and consistency so that we could launch it to the public, which we did about a week and a half ago now, I think. Oh, um, they did a great job. Oh, Oh man, there's a, a smoky mezcal margarita uh, on there that is just to die for. But the the buy-in from the team, knowing that they have a part in that process, um, knowing that we trust them enough with menu updates like that, and then having the wonderful managers um, that can coordinate that that employee collaboration and turn it into an action plan that results in a, a quality product for your guest um, has has, like I said, been one of the most rewarding parts of this process. The food is also top notch. It seems like a real emphasis was put on quality, creative recipes. Um, how was that menu developed and, and can you highlight some of your favorite offerings? Yeah, um, so we, we worked very closely with a couple of our different food service providers and some of the co consultative services that they offer um, using the Test Kitchen. Shamrock Foods has been instrumental. Um, they're just a wonderful group. They're that, that perfect size of large business to be able to support us with a wide variety of selection um, on the food service side, um, but small enough to truly care um, and invest in local businesses like our own. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of trial and error. There was a lot of um, reaching out to the local community. I'm, I'm very proud of what we have now, and I'm also even more proud to say that we're not gonna rest until we get it perfect. So, you know, every time you come in, there's gonna be something new or there's gonna be a tweak that continues to prove the improve the quality and consistency. Um, one, one of my favorite favorite call outs on the menu right now is that uh, wonton fried pickle. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we serve beer, we make mm -hmm. beer. Um, there's a, there's a bowling alley there. So it's like fri fried, pickle. fried pickles, man. Like that <laughs> just makes sense, right? It's, it's, it's bar food. Um, but instead of your overly breaded pickle chips, it's a, a pickle dill pickle spear with Munster cheese wrapped around it, wrapped in a wonton um, wrapper um, and and deep fried and so that that pickle to breading ratio is just perfect. Um, it's familiar, it's comfortable, but it's unique and you can't get it anywhere else. It's elevated but not pretentious. Exactly. We want our food food to be humble and approachable. Um, you want it to be comfortable. You don't want to have to look at the menu and try to figure out what right. things are. 
I don't know what I'm supposed to order here. You know, you don't need you don't need a picture next to it to figure it out. You just read the description and, and immediately know what it is. Um, but at the same time, um, the quality of which is something that you'll keep coming back for. Um, or there's a unique twist on it that you can't find anywhere else. Um, that once again keeps coming back. I imagine you get this question daily, both of you and, and your partner. Uh, it seems only natural that the tower itself could serve as an amazing intimate bar or gathering space with a breathtaking overlook. Is that part of the plan in the future? Yeah, we're, we're working on it. Uh, yeah, you're right. We do get that question daily mm -hmm. uh, multiple I think, times. I think we have that script written down for the hosts <laughs> at the host stand. Yeah, right now the, the tower is in very, very poor shape. It's not uh, in any, any shape for public access it's not up to code right uh, the elevator doesn't go all the way up so uh, we're working with our landlord who is already starting the process we got a new roof put on the, the very top need some new windows and then the the big piece of that is getting the elevator installed but there are plans for something up there uh, cocktail lounge or fine dining bungee jumping bungee jumping oh man we, uh, zip, zip line into central park zip line straight into Perfect. central park water slide so just a whole whole amusement park uh going no um it it'll be cool the the view is is absolutely stunning up there it's it's the best view in denver there's uh you can see all the way down to pike's peak and uh and then with the city skyline and the mountainscape in the background it's something that the public needs to be able to see so yeah in in terms of specific plans you know i think uh, time will tell as we get further into that process what we're allowed and, and not allowed to do with different um, city regulations, state, federal code, that kind of thing. But, you know, no one is more passionate about opening that space to the public in some way, shape or form over the next few years than we are. Um, and we're really, really happy to have such a supportive landlord um, that owns the building that is a local family that lives here in the Central Park neighborhood. Um, and so they are not only interested um, in doing that from a business sense, but they're also personally invested in the project um, because it's something that they, they would get to enjoy and share with their family because they, they live here. They're not some corporate entity that lives in New York that's managing right. it from afar via a spreadsheet. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're in the building uh, helping and enjoying um, what we have to offer on a, on a weekly, if not daily basis. For someone coming in from Aurora or, or anywhere for that matter, and, and you had to give them, all right, this is my must try food and beer combo. What are you telling them that is for, for each of you? Ooh, off the top of my head are steak and cheese sandwich. Uh, our fries with a red eye coffee amber. It, the steak and cheese combo is just deli delicious. It's perfect amount of cheese to some salty peppers and, and steak. And then uh, the coffee amber is a really good take on a coffee beer. Traditionally, uh, it's done with a stout or a heavier beer, but kind of a lighter, lighter beer really allows more of the coffee flavor to come out. So you get to taste uh, kind of malty, uh, roasty goodness with the the steak and peppers is a good combo. I'm in. Yeah. Um, Morgan, got, top it. I got I got two. Okay. One one that's available now and one that's coming soon. My my go to just just thoughtless combination. And by thoughtless, I mean I I don't have to debate whether I want it or not. Papas locas with our Aero Mexico Mexican lager. Um, so Papas Locas um, is a dish on our Quick Bites menu. Very, very simple fried potato chips with pickled veggies and hot sauce. Right now we have pickled pepidou peppers on there, um, curry, pickled cauliflower, pickled artichoke hearts that have a little bit of spice to them, pickled onions, 
jalapenos, and then we top it off with some fresh cilantro and Murph's electric lime hot sauce. Um, so you get salty, you get sour, you get sweet, um, you get a little bit of spice, um, and then paired up with a, our Mexican lager. It's just to die for. One one feeds into the other. Um, Jason uses Motica hops in the Mexican lager, which is a New Zealand varietal. Typically brings with it um, a little hint of lime essence. Um, so rather than having to put a lime wedge in your Mexican lager, the hops do that for you. So you can get a little whiff of it on the nose. You can get a little bit of it on the finish of the beer. Um, and it just perfectly complements that dish. Um, and it's great because that's what you can start with and then you can decide what you want for dinner or for lunch um, because it is light, it's easy, um, and it comes out really fast. I think our salad menu is just crushing it right now. Um, and we have our uh, Tipsy Nipper Belgian Saison that's in the tanks now that's gonna be released here in a couple of weeks. Belgian beers and Saisons in particular are just such a wonderful beer to pay with, play, play with food um, because of their complexities. All those flavors are being derived from the yeast um, and the esters that are produced in that process. And so you can get a lot of banana, clove, and spice notes from that beer with none of those ingredients actually being in it. And so depending on what food you pair it with, it really highlights and brings out or complements different flavors in the beer for different palates. Um, and I've always found that, you know, a salad with a lighter, more citrus vinaigrette um, really highlights some of those fruity esters in that beer and the pepper notes that you can get on that clove side. Um, and so really any salad, whether it's a Caesar, um, our power greens, or just the house salad with a vinaigrette or with something that has a little bit more of a pungent kick like that Caesar paired up with a good Belgian Caesar on is just such a wonderfully complex pairing and it and both are very light um so it's not palate dominating like some of the other um recommendations that i would make like you know a stout and a and a big steak or something um both can be highlighted on their own um without overpowering the other on that note it's lunchtime and now I have lots of inspiration. Uh, make sure you visit Flight Co. Tower at 3120 Uinta Street and learn more at flightcotower.com. Make sure you follow them on social media as well at Flight Co. Tower. Eric Serrani, Morgan O'Sullivan, thank you so much for taking the time today, guys. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Dave. Hey, thank you for listening to the Gateway to the Rockies podcast. Visit Aurora is the official destination marketing organization for the city of Aurora, Colorado, and acts as the primary liaison between meeting planners and hotel partners. As Aurora's convention and visitors' Bureau, Visit Aurora's mission is grounded in showcasing Aurora as a premier destination for meetings, business, and leisure travel. Visit Aurora represents more than 75 plus hotel properties with 13,500 plus guest rooms and more than 1 million square feet of meeting space, including Colorado's largest resort, Gaylord Rockies Resort and Convention Center. As Colorado's third largest city, Aurora is located minutes away from Denver International Airport and showcases mountain views, memorable meeting spaces, and 250 plus international eateries that offer a unique experience for each and every visitor. As the gateway to the Rockies, Visit Aurora's role in the local community goes beyond marketing the city as a destination. The Visit Aurora team is here to assist you with your Colorado visit from facilitating your meeting, event, or convention to helping you discover local flavor and attractions. Go beyond the boardroom in Aurora, Colorado. For more, visit us at visitaurora.com.